Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through his word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod, and today is quite a sad one. We're looking at not one, but two national disasters. The exile of Israel to Assyria in 72 BC, and the exile of Judah to Babylon in 586-587 BC. And uh, the fall of two nations, the north and the south, uh, both for the same reason. So chapter 17, verse 6. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. He carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in the Hala and the harbour, the river Gozan, the cities of the Medes. And this occurred because dot 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 and then we get almost a whole chapter explaining why this happened a kind of theological commentary on what caused God to reject them from their land yeah and it's um it's interesting to see what it is uh, that's so um despicable what the Lord takes offense against and in large part it's idolatry it's like um uh, in a marriage going off with someone else um, but also ingratitude is is the one that's kicked off at the beginning so in verse 7 he says they sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh. And we get the sense that um, they had an incredible privilege at the beginning. The Lord had shown them in remarkable kindness and, and it's in the face of um, his kindness that their rejection is all the worse. They throw it back in his face, basically. Yeah, it's spurned. I mean, there's lots of ways you could describe sin, but I think spurned kindness is, is a good uh, description as any and then we find out they were the same as the other nations so god had called them to be holy and to be different but in fact they were just the same as the nations that the lord had driven out before them uh, verse 11 actually you get a, a repeated phrase where they walked in the customs of the nations verse 8 whom the lord drove out before the people of israel and you get the same in verse 11 as the nations did whom the lord carried away and then again in verse 15, and they followed the nations that were around them. And, and I guess there's a sort of um, logic to the fact that if, if these nations, the Philistines, had to be driven from the land back in the mm. days of Joshua, and now they're repeating their sins, there's a sort of um, dark logic. Well, what, what do you think is going to happen? Of course, they're going to be vomited in the same way. You say vom- that's from Leviticus, <laughs> isn't it? The land vomited them out. It can't stomach them anymore. Exactly, yeah. And then, I mean, there's just lots, lots of this really is just different lenses or different perspectives on their sin because another one then comes up, which is they, they reject God's word and they do it twice. So he told them in his law, you shall not commit idolatry. It's in the, the second commandment of the Ten Commandments. And then he warned them by the prophets who are repeating the law. So after the time of Moses there, they're republishing the law and then they ignore that as well. So there's a sort of stubbornness of refusing to listen repeatedly, which actually reminds us of earlier in the Bible overview, right? So Leviticus 26, we saw that the only way you're going to get to exile is not, it's not one strike and you're out, but I think it's five times. If you continually take the wrong turning, turn away from God, 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 then in the end exile. And we see them going through all of these crash barriers towards this uh, this terrible outcome and one of the really striking things is the language that's used and i think the bible's so good for us because it it names things as they truly are so we've got all kinds of ways of rationalizing sin and we have ways of talking of you know we're just just human or we've 
we can um, justify it to ourselves. And then the Bible just says, no, they despised his statutes, verse 15. And I think if you'd interviewed them, they would have said, oh, no, no, we honor God and his word. But he says, no, no, you have despised them. And then explains why. And you've abandoned my commandment, 16. You've sold yourselves to evil, 17. You've provoked me. So he, he's actually um, pulling the veil back and showing what is really going on in, in its starkest terms. You get this phrase, they went after false idols and became false. I think there's a book, isn't there, called You Are What You Worship. And it's, this is the idea. They, they worship a golden calf and they become stiff-necked. They worship like calves are stiff-necked, apparently, if you're a farmer. And they worship idols and they, false idols and became false. So their false worship infects them and corrupts their own character. Yeah, and they, that tells us that worship is at the centre of our identity. So it's not superficial, it's not down the stream, it's right at the head of the stream. And so what you worship will infect or purify every other part of your life. Um, so we're all of us on a trajectory to become something else. And, and this is one of the um, frightening things that uh, when we think about the eternal judgment, that if you are worshipping the true God, you're ever becoming more like him. But if you're worshipping something false, you're f- forever being corrupted and becoming less human. And um, this is the, the principle of how, how central worship is to who we are. Then verse 17, they, I mean, this is just awful. They burned their sons and daughters as offerings to their false gods. One of the awful things about some of the pagan gods like Molech and so on was that they demand uh, human sacrifice. And the the Israelites go along with this and kill their own children. I wonder whether that's here because you don't have to have a lot of theology to see that this is awful. So actually, even the outsider looking in, even the um, uninstructed can see this is a terrible nation i think it's like the church you know some of the scandals in the church you need theology to understand why they're wrong other things just the man on the street can see it's wrong and i think this is one of those cases it's just it's just an awful way to behave yeah and at the end of this passage um 18 to 23 we get um the lord's anger with israel and how he drives them out of his sight What, what do you make of this language of out of the Lord's sight, as, as if he can't see beyond Israel. Yeah, I mean, obviously God is all-knowing, and all, it's not saying God's not omniscient, but it's like we we read elsewhere in the Bible that God is of two pure eyes to behold evil. It's like I think it's just like, I can't bear to look at you, get, get out of my sight. So it, it's a loss of God's gracious presence with them. And we, in fact, we'll see more about that next week when we look at the same kind of idea in, in the prophet Ezekiel. But God says... It's not just you're leaving the land behind, but you're leaving the blessing of my presence with you. So it's a kind of parallel to Eden in a way. They're driven from the garden, which represents the place of him and his blessing. So it's another expulsion in that sense. Should we talk a bit about why we're given such a long explanation? So, I mean, it's a grim chapter. It's a whole chapter of sin described in different ways. Like, why do we need to be told that so clearly? Because it's quite unusual. I mean, most, most of Kings is just narrative. But here the author presses pause on the narrative and gives us a, a whole long explanation. And it's worth thinking about who originally read this document. So it contains um, details about how they got exiled. So it's, it's speaking to people who the tragedy's already happened. So in one sense, it's not a warning 
in the immediate sense because it's already happened the results so if it is a warning it's saying when you're later brought back into the land or make sure you don't do the same thing again but it's more than that it's not um it's explaining history through a theological lens like what what do you think would be the danger if you lived in exile what would you think of god well, I guess it's a sort of apologetic, isn't it? It's defending God. Because you might think either um, the reason that the Assyrians won is because Assyrian gods are more powerful than Israelite gods. In fact, this is what um, Sennacherib famously says when he's mocking Hezekiah. He says, I've beaten all the other nations and their gods. So basically, in the ancient world, if you won a battle, it meant your god was stronger than the nation that you you were fighting against. And it even works that way in the Old Testament. David beats Goliath. It shows that God is more powerful than Philistine, um, uncircumcised um, enemies of God. So I guess you think, well, therefore, if Assyria beats Israel, then Assyria is more powerful than Israel. Assyria's God is more powerful than than, um, Israel's God. So we need to know that the decline in Israel's life is not for want of God's power, but it's actually God in his judgment causing it, bringing it about. And I guess there's a parallel to the church today. You look at the Church of England, it's declining, and you think, oh, poor God, you know, he's doing his best, and he's not really cutting it with 21st century culture. God must be very frustrated to be impotent in the face of secularism. No, the, the, the lens here is this is God's judgment deliberately on a, on a church that's that's turned away from him. And I think it's useful to think about in the context of the decline of Western churches because... Otherwise, I guess, what, what do we think? Maybe God's not in control or the, the message isn't powerful. I think one of the responses the church makes when there's not growth is, oh, we need to um, become more like the culture. And um, I think we lose confidence in the gospel. And, and without this lens to see, oh, no, this is the Lord's doing and, and it's a, an opportunity to repent and to purify the church, um, we, we, we do exactly the wrong and you know we rather than purifying we become more like those around us and that and then the judgment worsens so it's 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 important to have multiple lenses so that we can understand the, the times that we live in um and i guess the other thing that it, it the other way it defends god is sometimes people think that god is harsh to judge us so it's the classic objection you know how can a god of love send people to hell and any hint of god's judgment sounds harsh or unloving and I think it, this is here partly so that we realise God's just been, he's been reasonable. He doesn't have a short fuse. He waited. It, it happened again and again. And the provocation got so much that he said enough's enough. And kind of, why wouldn't he? That just seems, it seems very reasonable to us. We realise that God's done the right thing in judging them. And actually, um, the fact that God shows no partiality is a, a really important thing for us to grasp so that we're not complacent it's um if the canaanites got expelled because of this what do you expect and and the same argument is played in in the new testament so in in romans chapter 2 um i think verse 11 god shows no partiality um is is an important um warning to the church that um don't think that you'll be safe if you act like outsiders you'll be treated like outsiders one final thing before we leave Israel and go on to Judah is the the last paragraph is about the king specifically. And when he torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam son of Nebat king. Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. So you see that 
the wrong leadership is disastrous for the people and um, a, a godless king causes corruption. Um, but then it's not just it's his fault because then you read verse 22, the people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them. So he's responsible for leading them astray and they're responsible for being led astray. So there, there is a focus on the leadership, but you can't say, oh, I'm innocent. It was just my leader. There's a complicity to it. Yeah. And then we come, it's a, a few chapters later, to chapter 21. And we it's almost the same chapter, but this time the, the focus isn't on Israel and northern ten tribes, but on Judah, the, the southern two tribes. And they have had a better history in a way, and you know, the fact that they lasted longer before exile. And, and they've had some good kings along the way, unlike Israel, and we've seen that in Book of One and Two Kings. But weirdly, well, w- w- they actually get a worse write-up here. So do you want to just show us some of that? Well, lo- lots of it is almost a carbon copy of what we read about in Israel. So they made Asherah, they sacrificed their children to the fire. Like All, all the awful things about Israel are then repeated in Judah. But if anything, even worse... So we're told about Israel in 1 Kings 17 that they match the sins of the other nations that are driven out. But we're told in 2 Kings 21 that they exceed the sins of the Amorites who were driven out. So if anything, they're even worse despite having even greater privilege. And and one of the things that the, the chapter reminds us of is that the temple is there. So we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. But this um, telephone line to God, this this opportunity to repent and to call out to God for forgiveness this is the privilege that is right there in, in Jerusalem in the middle of Judah but despite that opportunity for repentance and for reconciliation they still go the same way so it's kind of even worse because of the extra grace they had that they then reject and yes they were doing idolatry but the place of the foreign idols is in a much mm. more sensitive place yes. so uh, verse 7 he carved the image of Asherah and he set it in the house of the Lord the house of which the Lord said to David and Solomon, in this house out of which I've chosen out of all the tribes, I will put my name. So it's one thing being an idolater, but it's another thing being an idolater when you've been given a special privilege. And it's actually, I I think, again, this cuts cuts closer, doesn't it, for Christians. This isn't uh, a finger for point, uh, (laughs) a passage for clubbing those outside the walls and pointing the finger because, um, you know, as Jesus taught, from everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. Actually, it's it's a much worse thing when a Christian uh, turns away from the Lord than when someone who's never heard of uh, Jesus does it. And we're held to a higher standard and will be judged uh, accordingly. Well, it's been a grim study in some ways. It's a very sobering one. Um, and uh, next week we're back and we're looking at Ezekiel where we'll see the same the same reality of the exile, but from a very different perspective. So I hope you can join us then. Uh, please do share this episode or whatever you do to subscribe to um, podcasts and hope to see you next time, or at least hope for you to hear us next time. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.